Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Miai, the producer with our host, Dina Brodsky and Marshall Jones. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. Hey guys, I'm Tun Mian, the producer, and we have Dina Brodsky here, and we are really excited to introduce our guest, Brian Mark Taylor. All right, so Brian is not only an absolutely amazing artist, he is the creator of Strata Easel. A bunch of you guys might actually be using his easels or participating in the Strata Easel Challenge as we speak. And also he's one of the co-founders of the Vision X Live conference, which is something that both me and Tan are going to be keynote speakers in. You guys should come. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. I don't usually enjoy virtual events, but this one's got, it's got some of my favorite painters. It's actually got some of the best animators around. And overall, it's going to be fun and it's going to be a bunch of smart people talking about the future of art and where things are going. Tan, what are you going to be doing for Vision X Live? Yeah, so I'm actually teaming up with our past guest, Rafael Hostra, and we are going to be talking about marketing online courses, which we're going to use you as, as a case study because you're doing so well with it. Okay, which by the way, guys, that sounds like it would be really boring. It's not. Tan and Raphael made me an online course and now I am officially no longer a starving artist basically because of this class. Thanks to the fact that you guys made me do it, held my hands through it, did all the audio video, putting the website together. And now I just have to show up a few times a month and it's kind of amazing and I can spend the rest of the time painting. So you guys should listen to Tan and Raphael do this. And if you want to, you can also listen to me talking about Instagram voodoo because that's the other reason that I stopped being a starving artist because like kind of figuring out the matrix and hopefully I can help some of you guys do the same. Yeah, that's right. We're all trying to do the same thing. Get more time to paint. We're going to figure it out together. <laughs> uh, we're not no, we're not not good at pitching anything so without further ado hopefully we'll see some of you guys at Vision X Live now this was this weekend and introducing Brian Mark Taylor. Take it from here. I'd like to personally invite everybody to come to Vision X Live. It'll be absolutely worth your time. You will hear things you've never heard before, as well as be reminded of things that you had forgotten maybe and need to learn or at a deeper level. And so uh, this is going to be one of the most unique conferences you've ever been to because every artist is extremely talented and do really do amazing work, but at the same time are not all doing it the same way. And so you'll come away with new ideas and uh, new inspiration. So it is uh, July 16th through 18th and it's virtual. So you can do it anywhere in the world. It starts at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every single day and uh, goes through to 6 p.m. We've got over 70 events. So it's, it's going to be amazing conference with a broad scope, a lot of great artists presenting. So invite you all to come. All right, Brian, see you there. <laughs> what do you guys think about that uh, manufactured art though? Like a, like a Kincaid model or puzzles or on plates and stuff. What, what, are, what is your opinion about that? Well, I think, you know, art, everything goes, right? And we, we know that at some level, you know, if it, if it, especially if it's beautiful or interesting, then 
if it's done production wise. I don't know. I part of me has a really open mind about it, and the other part um, just hate, hates that kind of stuff. Uh huh. And you know the commercialism of it all, and that you know it's sold. That I think the thing that bothers me the most is if it's done one way and sold as a different thing. Uh, you know, that's that's where it really kind of I think is troublesome, right? Because like if there's deception in the process. Right. Yeah. And I know to yeah. some degree, you know, artists are like mute, uh, magicians. Some are uh, where they want to hide, you know, what they're doing. But, you know, some people I know that they're printing it off, you know, with a high end printer and then touching it up with a little oil and saying this is their work. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, original top to bottom and, you know, a lot of people don't know to, to look and see all the pixels. Uh -huh. Right. And I think a lot of people are actually like, the people that collect it are actually invested in, they might actually know because I mean, if you feel like if you look really closely, you can, you can see what's going on. But I think people are actually, they, they've spent so much money on it. And if it kind of blows up, then the value of their investment goes down. And they're actually interested in keeping it going. They're not interested in the truth about this. Yeah. So, you know, at some level, and maybe the scandal is what makes it famous. I don't know. Sometimes it's just, it's such a strange art world right now. Um, you know, uh, and having people go, you know, for this $69 million NFT, I know, you know, the art world's still reeling from that, but it's really hard to say what that value actually means. Uh -huh. And maybe it doesn't matter. You know, just the fact that it did happen is enough to create that value. I think Banksy has kind of proved that an event of any type, as long as it gets eyeballs, will create value, right? Out of thin air. So, mm -hmm. You know, it, that's not the type of art world that I'm necessarily interested in. Uh, you know, I, I like the whole skill side of things and I like, uh, you know, the years of effort and um, thought that goes into, you know, developing your, your craft, whatever that is. But at the same time, you have to look and, and see, you know, the world's not fair. Life's not fair. Why why do we think that the art world would be fair in some some shape or form? And and you know it's not. And 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 so at the end of the day, you know, am I happy about what I'm creating? Am I happy about you know the, the artists that I'm associating with? You know, you, you have to make peace with all of that fame and fortune and realize, you know, the reason why you got into it in the first place. Yeah, because it's it's interesting because that that sort of level, I mean, I guess you could argue that. Thomas Kincaid reached a level and was a reasonably serious painter, you know, but I think that level is not available to the people that I went to school with that I know it's not even really a goal. It's like a little more of a, like you were saying, like a smaller community and the priority is just making things that reach your own sort of personal view of of what art should be and, and building a community, I think is really the the goal that it seems like a lot of people we talk about on the show and stuff are are after, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that uh at the end of the day, you know, I have a friend that he went to school with me and he did the painting and kind of realized that maybe he wasn't that into it. So went into finance, made a ton of money 
and then started just traveling and wandering around the world. At the end of the day, he still kind of, then he kind of came back to me and wanted to have, you know, conversation about art and stuff. I think it's you know, realizing that, yeah, you say you achieve all this, this money and whatever, what do you have in terms of like some real interaction and some purpose in your life? You know, he was still kind of searching for that. And ironically, maybe didn't find it in art, nor did he find it in finance either. No one goes into finance hoping to find that though. Like, right. Some people don't find it in art. I dare you to find one person who went into finance being like, you know what, this is like really emotionally fulfilling to me. And I think that's why, you know, at least I've had a lot of clients over the years, they've purchased, you know, that are in finance, uh, maybe because I was in San Francisco uh, for 15 years, but and there's so much financial stuff going on, but watching some of these people up close, having dinner with them and talking with them. And, you know, they have 40 or 50 houses, uh, you know, everything they could ever want, but still there's that kind of search for connection. And I think artwork sometimes is trying to get something from the artist to where they feel like they can have that kind of same connection, maybe, uh, you know, feel fill up their soul in a way that obviously is not being filled by what they've done or what they're doing. Do you think it matters what you're making the artwork for to lead to a certain connection? Like maybe your, your collectors, are they looking for a certain something from your artwork that, that would lend itself to connection? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, at, least, at least for me, obviously a sense of place is really important to people. I mean, there are a, a small number of collectors that I have that actually will appreciate it art for art's sake, just the brushwork and the, the fact that you kind of can get up close and it's abstract, you stand back and it comes becomes representational. Just appreciate it on that level of, you know, capturing the light or mood or whatever. But a, the large majority, I think, of, of at least collectors that I've interacted with, you know, the subject itself um, has a big part of what they connect with, whether it's a, a place that they've traveled to. You know, I like to do a lot of traveling and, you know, a lot of people have great memories of, of traveling, discovering new places. And so, you know, if I go to China and, and, and paint, uh, you know, some of the old Chinese things that are, whether they're boats or buildings or, um, you know, the, the people, people uh, resonate with that. It reminds them of, you know, a time they had in their life. And I think that connection to memory, it seems to be, at least with the type of work that I do, just a, a powerful part of that. Hmm. Right. I've seen some of those paintings you did from China. They're gorgeous. Well, thank those you. are great. Absolutely. But it motivates me, you know, in, in, in that is maybe less about some of those things that, motiv that a collector would want. For me, it's more about this kind of discovery, exploration, capturing uh, what I call vanishing landscapes is kind of the thing that I've been doing a lot. Going out on location, observing the fact that things are changing quickly, barns are being torn down, and uh, you know, in the farm stuff here in the U.S. Uh, but then, if you go into China, you know, these boats are being taken off the river. The people that have lived for generations on these boats are now being put into you know, these kind of apartments. Hmm. So life is changing really rapidly. This stuff's disappearing like crazy. So, you know, and like, I, you know, went down to, um, as soon as it was open to the U.S., I went down to Cuba, you know, to, to go see kind of 
what was going on there and anticipating a lot of change happening if Americans could go down and, and you know, be tourists. And we kind of saw that happen. Obviously it's gone in the reverse since, since I went down there. Uh, so not sure how things are going, but uh, you know, ec economics, uh, climate change, uh, social structure, you know, all those things are changing a lot. But I think it, the most change, the most dramatic change you see is in China. Right huh. now. And that's because they don't have to ask permission to move thousands of people out of the slums, level it, and then start putting up skyscrapers, you know. And so you see that's that stuff happening just in a very dramatic pace. We litigate, you know, if, if there's something we want to keep, then there's human rights and things like that that we have to deal with. So the change is happening, um, but a lot, perhaps a little bit slower. But we can see it very much in the way, like the way we farm in the US. So, you know, in India, we have, you know, there's 50% agricultural, you know, there's so many people that are in those types of uh, businesses in the US, we only have like 1% that are farmers, because we can do it by satellite, GPS, helicopter, you know, whatever it is. Um, to uh, streamline all of that. So most of the workers don't have to do that. Oh. Do a lot more art and things like that. But what happens is all these old buildings and all this kind of old culture is getting leveled, you know, to make way for our you know, amusement parks or just whatever else we're kind of cooking up this time. So oh. I feel like one of the things that I can do is make those observations. And um, often that observation of these old places will help a baby boomer, you know, that had those experiences or grew up on the farm or, or whatever, they, it attaches to that, that strong memory and you be able to, I'm able to evoke that in, in them. Where, where are you located? Where, where? So I'm currently in Northern Utah. Okay. Yeah, we moved, I moved out here because of uh, Strata. Okay. Your easel company. Easel company, yeah, we actually manufacture it here in the US. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons. The other is, you know, it's just a very beautiful place to, to live. Um, uh, you know, we were in California for many years, but the, uh, I just wanted to get out with a little bit more room and space, have a little mm -hmm. bit of farm in the backyard, kind of a, a gentleman's farm. Uh, that's great. Uh, so that's, that's been nice to kind of spread our wings a little bit and also, um, you know, just have the airport really close. So you know, I love traveling and that's such a big part of you know, doing plain air and uh, meeting people, you know, around the world. Um, so as long there's as a I lot of great painters in Utah too. There are, there's, there's a very strong tradition of, well, the traditional arts, it's kind of like uh, if you went to Australia, from what uh, a number of painters have told me in Australia is that this modern movement, modern postmodern movement, has really never took root in Australia, that traditional arts in a lot of ways are just continued on. If you look at uh, Arthur Streeton, who's you know, just a master artist of the 19th century, um, you know, he's, there's just a tradition of artists that wanna be like Arthur Streeton, and so that's continued on um, there. Same thing, I think, in Utah. I, part of it, I think the landscape has a big uh, part of that but also just kind of more of a traditional uh, place or 
traditional values and things like that. So this love of 19th century art, I think is really strong in this area. So um, the arts has been, is, is a huge deal here. Uh, I think visual arts for one, uh, but you know, like dance and some other things that are, that are done here, music. Also, there's, there's a ton of famous, you know, artists that have come out of Utah as well. I think part of it is uh, parents here love to invest in their kids, you know, and I, I'm definitely a beneficiary of that because I, I grew up in Utah and uh, my parents made sure that we all played a couple instruments and, you know, we had all kinds of lessons and things like that. So I, I definitely benefited, benefited from that. Yeah, Brian, so one of my favorite painters, also named Brian, uh, also comes from Utah, and that's actually the exact description that he used. Like, like when I asked how he grew up, I think he grew up in a very large Mormon family, and he said like his parents made sure that there was, you know, piano lessons and art lessons and all the stuff. That, and I don't think it came from having a huge amount of money. He phrased it the way you did: parents just invest in their kids a lot more. And, that, and that's why, like, the art market here isn't that strong in in, in a certain sense. It's getting stronger because. Now we have uh, an area called Silicon Slopes. So a ton of money is pouring in. Tons of Californians like myself, you know, moving from California here. Housing prices are going crazy. You know, it's changing a lot, but for the most part, uh, people are investing in their, in their kids here in a lot of ways. So everybody's, you know, you know doing dance, music, uh, all the arts, right, in a big way. But a lot of things like the artists, you know, just even in my neighborhood, we have um, Blair Buswell, who's doing um, major, huge multi-million dollar uh, bronze work projects. And um, we have other, you know, artists of all kinds that are they're doing some major stuff, but mostly they're showing it outside of each other, showing it over in California or, you know, on the East Coast. And that's, that's what I'm doing. The majority of my work I'm sending to California, back to California. Um, uh, a few things stay here, you know, if they get sold out of the studio, but uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm sending it there or, or to uh, Sugarlift Gallery. <laughs> By the way, Brian, how did you start painting? Your parents were invested enough in you to give you art lessons as a child, or is it just, is it something you came to on your own? No, it's definitely something I came to on my own. I, I had a real strong desire for it back. Uh, so when I was eight years old, there's a there's kind of this experience uh, or the story that I tell where my dad, he was super goal oriented. So he's, he's a, a dermatologist. Uh, he's, you know, just important dermatologist in the world. He's innovated a lot of new things, uh, procedures and things like that. So very driven guy, you know, and he had tremendous amount of energy, but he was, uh, he came from, you know, a farm community up in Idaho. And, uh, you know, he just talks about how he couldn't wait to get out of the farm life, uh, you know, and go do something important. Um, and so, you know, just a tremendous amount of drive. So that's the type of dad that I grew up with. Um, and so, you know, just doing something ordinary wasn't part of the DNA of the family in a lot of ways. It was you know, go out, achieve your dreams and, and all of that. And so when I was eight years old, he, you know, we'd, we'd always have these interviews, right? An interview once a month. He'd interview all, well, there's seven of us in our family, seven kids. And he'd do these interviews and, and we'd go through our goals. Like, what do you want to do? This, that, and the other. So on one particular drive, 
I was just with him alone. We were driving up to Idaho to see his parents. He said, you know, if you could be anything you want in your life, what would it be? And I, and I told him I wanted to be an artist. And, you know, he, he actually had a very little idea I was that interested in it. He was really kind of surprised by that. Mm. Um, I guess he was expecting that I'd want to be a doctor. That's Maybe hoping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, the, the irony about that is he has this great practice that he's going to be selling soon, and um, none, nobody wants. I mean, they would pair it just to, you know, the, this great, this amazing practice, but nobody wants it. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> creative stuff. I have a sister that's an interior designer, another one that does modern dance, um, you know, a brother that's a professor, you know. Um, wow. Uh, another one that's an entrepreneur, another one politician. So we've got we've got quite a quite a group of or range, I guess you could say, <laughs> of talents. Nobody wanted to be a doctor. So, but anyway, I digress a little bit from that. From so anyway, that's what I told him that's what I want to do. It. He was really surprised by it. But you know, to his credit, he uh, found an art school. Uh, my well, I think my mom found it. I mean, she's the one that really did all the legwork. You know, driving people around. You know, the taxi driver. And uh, so I, I, I got into this kind of uh, art program uh, when I was in, let's see, when you're eight, I, I forget, that's like third grade or something like that. And then I've been doing art ever since. You know, I just mm -hmm. loved it, right? It just was something that um, has always been a part of my life. That's great. I can't imagine what it'd be like with like such, such parents who would interview you monthly. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. that's that's wild well it's yeah i mean it's like maybe unique kind of annoying in some ways but i look you know it you roll your eyes as a kid but you look back and think hey you know i had you know parents that cared and especially in a big family as being the middle child you know i you know you're kind of clamoring for attention a little bit maybe that's why i wanted to be an artist to see if i could get more attention or something like that i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Something for mom to put on the fridge. <laughs> right. Um, so, so you said you went to school in San Francisco, is that right? Yeah, went to the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Was that, would you have been there, I, I believe at the same time maybe as Ray, Ray Benilla? Uh, Ray, see, we never met. I know of, I know of his work. Okay. Uh, but I'm... I don't think I was there back from 2000 to 2002 to 2005. Okay. It's been a while. And then um, Colin Shalag went there too, I think. Am I right about that? Or you I don't know Colin. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. Did you like the program? You know, the program was, was great because I did my undergrad um, in Utah and it just was not the education I wanted. Um, much more of the postmodernist kind of anti-craft sort of idea, more mm -hmm. conceptual. And I really wanted to have more of that craft-based education where you, you know, you just learn how to draw and you learn how to compose, you learn how to mix color, you know, all those things that I wanted. I actually got a lot more of it before I went to uh, the university. And so uh, I got exposed to some things, maybe some uh, one of the things was what kitsch was and how to avoid it, like the plague. Mm -hmm. 
that's a, that was probably the main lesson of, uh, <laughs> of my four years there. Um, yeah, but back then, like like an undergrad, I feel like at least where I went, they just used kitsch to refer to anything beautiful, like anything that like approached aesthetically appealing. They're like, but aren't you afraid it's a little bit kitschy? Yeah. Right. And they would, they would act like there is the whole world that is trying to create this thing that might be beautiful is, um, it's dead, right? And so that's, I came, I came out of that program really frustrated by wondering what, what am I gonna do? Um, and so that's when I started looking at, um, you know, a grad school and getting out of, out of Utah to you know, one of the coasts, east, east coast or west coast. I was looking at one or the other. And I guess, you know, west, west coast just seemed a little more appealing. Obviously it's a little closer. I love California, you know, memories of going to the beach and stuff like that. But um, a big part of it, I think, was the landscape, too. I've always had that connection to the landscape. I think also as part of uh, my upbringing, we did a lot of adventures. Um, you know, I mentioned my dad was, you know, grew up on a farm. So he's a bit of a cowboy in a way. So he's like a Teddy Roosevelt. You know, oh. this is, uh, you know even at, at 70 plus years, he's, he's still going strong and and doing adventures and stuff. So we're, you know, hiking mountains and things like that. So strong connection that landscape is something, I think why I became a landscape painter that those are the best moments of my life of being out in those, those areas and being oh. with people. And, you know, I've always had a little bit of uh, the social anxiety that um, for maybe that's an artist thing, you know, when you're a little bit more of an introvert. Uh, I like being around people, but at the same time, people can be a draining thing for me. Hmm. Like after teaching a workshop, I get ex exhausted, you know, I could sleep for two days after a, a workshop. Just in some people, it, it feels like they get energized by being around people. So that's actually supposed to be the difference, the true difference between extroverts and introverts. Like it's not that extroverts like people and introverts don't, but it like extroverts recharge, like they get energy from being with people. Um, and you can actually have someone who's a little on the quiet side, but they get energy from being with people. And then you can get people who, you know, are a little bit on the loud side actually, but they get they, like in order to recharge, they need to be alone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely the, I need to recharge kind of a person. It's, it's interesting because I don't think people would think that of me, that I would need that kind of time, you know. Because you're, an, you're an extroverted introvert. Um, yeah. I, I actually, so am I. Like, I talk a lot when I'm with people. Um, but, but then, like, in order to want to be with people, I need to spend, like, X amount of time by, my, by myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally relate, relate to that. And that, well, and that's, that's for me, that's why landscape may be for you as well, rather than me being in front of, a, a person painting their portrait to some degree it's a little exhausting and and going outdoors and just interacting with nature or you know cityscape or whatever in general where i'm not having to talk to anybody experiencing it i'm doing like i'm, I'm doing this interview from the hudson river fellowship right now and okay. um which you guys should both like apply to and maybe go to next year because it's amazing. But there's so much space here to just spread out and people kind of just drift around. A, everyone is painting 12 hours a day. They're all serious. So they all 
paint together at sunset because there's like one sunset spot. Uh, and then a bunch of them get up. Are we doing the sunrise painting? So they get up at five to paint at sunrise. And like today it's been raining all day long and they're all like, they did the sunrise painting and then they've all just been outside like huddling under various things, but it's not stopping them. And it's kind of been the perfect mix of like, you can not talk to anyone for like several hours and then you can drift somewhere and just sort of like talk and paint. And I'm so regretting, like it's a three week thing and I'm doing it for like three days. And I'm like, oh God, this would have been the best life for like the last three weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, That that sounds great. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's great to get together, you know, and I did probably as I, even before I graduated from college, uh, from doing my master's at the Academy of Art, I probably did at least a hundred plein air events. So all over the country, you know, huh. so I've, I've done a lot of, you know, paint out groups and that's where I got to know a lot of artists all over the place. Um, I've re- since retired, you know, about, about seven, eight, seven years ago, I, I just got totally burned out. I thought, so I make uh, way fewer appearances, you know, of, of things like that. So I've lost, lost touch with a, a number of people, but that was a great experience to, you know, you rub shoulders with people like the fellowship that you're doing right now is, you know, you're lean over somebody's shoulder, just see how they're capturing the subject, you know, talk shop a little bit casually, and then, you know, go off and do your thing. There's a lot of value to all of that. You know, and I've actually realized I've never like, like I've done a lot of like I draw. So I've done a lot of drawing outside, uh, but I've never done it with other people. Like it'd be like, I would travel by myself and do this by myself. And I always thought that having people around would kind of like stress me out, but instead having people who are painting uh, is actually kind of, you know, like it's the opposite of stressful. It's like, like kind of like, I'm like, they're working harder than I am. I've got, I got to get my shit together here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's very different than like in a workshop where everybody's relying on you and depending on you to have kind of be the cheerleader and having the energy. If it's if people they're they're taken care of, right? I feel like a workshop is like almost like this energy transfer where you're giving them what you know, but you're also giving them sort of like so it's it's not just knowledge though. There's something else that you give people to make them feel. I don't know, feel inspired or feel like they're truly in it. And I think that's the part that burns you out. Uh, like, and that's the part, that, but, but it's also the reason people want to learn from you. Like, it's not just that you teach them how to apply paint. It's that you teach them how to love what they're doing. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, it, it, it takes that energy and that passion, right? They're seeing your excitement as you're approaching a subject. They're seeing you stand by them and tell them to go forward when they don't know how to go forward. Um, and you're pushing them harder than they've ever been pushed before. And yeah, it takes, it takes that energy to do it. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. So Brian, what keeps you excited as a like representational painter? What, what keeps you motivated this many years in? That's, that's a great, great question. And I think that's where uh, this conference Vision X Live comes in. Hmm. So I've attended a lot of different conferences over the years and, um, you know, like a plain air conference or, and I, I did it for like 10 years straight, you know, and I even presented the first, first half of them. Um, and I started, you know, you hear the same things over and over again, which is really good, especially if you're trying to learn, you need to hear it maybe in a little bit different way from different artists. 
but after a while you kind of you know you hit that saturation point and um, kind of the focus of my work now is kind of taking it beyond plein air beyond realism into some you know abstraction experimental directions and seeing what I can do with that uh, with all this stuff that I've learned over the years and so um, that's where this idea for Vision X Live is, is kind of generated or the genesis of it is as I've gone to different uh, conferences looking for more you know and interesting ideas I haven't found them necessarily in the representational painting group as much as it you know going to the animator animation conference oh. or going to oh. a comic-con or going to um, another thing called the LuxCon, which is more fantasy and science fiction driven. Uh, and so, or even going to a convention that is not necessarily art related, but has to do with product, like a product fair, um, you know, cause I've done, you know, some industrial designing and toward factories, you know, I've been to SpaceX, I've been to Tesla, I've been to, you know, all kinds of different places. And I, that's where I start to have a little bit more interest uh, or I get that interest back or that passion back. And so that's, that's one of the things what I need to do in order to stay interested and, and creative. And so this conference, Vision X Live, uh, we're having artists from different genres and kind of different camps, you know, movie industry or, you know, you know, traditional fine art, you know, Russian canvas, or we have people making NFTs. Uh, we have a mix of artists, all kind of, uh, for the most part, interested in making something that has a, a beauty to it. So that's kind of maybe what, instead of maybe something just absurd and bland, um, or, or I think maybe that's the thing that kind of joins everybody together. So, you know, in terms of composition or design, um, whether it's sculpture or 2D art, that's the, the conference we're putting together. And that's something that I, that's really exciting to me because people are, uh, you know, it's borrowing little bits and pieces from other other genres so that you create something that's more interesting and dynamic move the move the the needle forward instead of you know just trying to create some you know pretty pictures for you know people that i don't know are going to put it on their above their couch right yeah i'm happy to hear you say that and i'd, I'd be excited to hear more about this conference because a lot of the conversations i get into with artists you know me being in a much more well, like you've a traditional kind of skill-based community, but it's like, I'm always looking for ways to incorporate other things. And because sometimes down that path, what you miss out is your personal vision. You take on your instructor's vision often and just sort of repeat that over and over. And it sounds like what you're doing is trying to pull people's vision out of them when they get to the conference, you know? with this smorgasbord of different ideas that they can pick and choose from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you see, um, you know, for example, Zoe Frank is a good example of uh, somebody who has, was trained academically, but has totally gone, you know, added all kinds of modern painting direction mm -hmm. or work to create something that's, you know, unique, uniquely hers. So that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, moving things forward. Uh, you know, I started painting kind of these science fiction sort of uh, things that are based off of these, the Chinese boats. You know, I thought they're so fascinating, their shapes, their textures, 
colors and things. And so I kind of started developing a series based on that that still has, you know, atmosphere and some light and stuff in it. Uh, that That is kind of recharged my traditional work. When I go back and paint something like a barn like this, then I can add some of those ideas back into it and make it more interesting and fresh and kind of move forward. Yeah, otherwise I just, I, I've never been able to kind of settle on just one kind of style and just kind of keep doing that over and over again. I, I always feel a little restless and wanting to kind of try things a little bit different and uh, do something that's, you know, interesting or unique or, you know, even if I'm the only one that enjoys it. So it's the first time I talked to Brian, like, I mean, I've, I've known, I've known your work for ages, but I think I talked to you maybe a month ago before scheduling this interview, trying to get you to draw a bird for my bird project. And after 10 minutes of talking to you, I was like, I think you are trying to build your own, your own reality. Can you please come talk at our podcast? But um, I think that's what all of this is. So it's your painting, but it's also, you made your own easel. Um, you're building, you know, like you put together your own art conference. It's going to be absolutely, you know, gigantic from, from the looks of it. And, and also a lot of fun. I, it feels like you're trying to basically put together a reality that you would want to live in. Like, like instead of just taking the art world as it is, like, okay, here's an easel. It's okay. You know, it's not the perfect easel, but I'm just going to paint on it. You're like, I'm going to make my own and, and, and like, I'm going to make a better one instead of kind of going to other people's conferences. You're like, I could do this better. Like, like I could do this better. I could do this different. This could be more fun. This could be more kind of creative, creative and eclectic. Let's do my own conference. Or I mean, I, I know it's you and Keith, right? It feels like you're just kind of shaped. Like it's almost like reality is a sculpture that you're molding. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do, and that's that's a great way to put it. I I definitely feel like, I mean, so Steve Jobs is is one of those people that has you know had an impact on my life uh, in terms of watching him. And they talk about his reality distortion field. And, and part of that is to, that he would, you know, just make things up, right? The same thing, he would like bend everybody's will to a degree that everybody had to kind of follow what, what he was doing. I mean, he just kind of went forward. And the, the, the part I like about that is not about kind of like forcing people to do anything, but what I do like about it is um, if we can take people to, um, a more creative place, uh, a more interesting place. That's what I. That's what I'd love to do. Uh, I would, you know, I'm I'm insanely curious about a lot of things, um, and I know a lot of people don't live that their life that way. I wish more people did. But when I find those people that are super curious, and um, doesn't matter what the person does, they'll have a conversation and ask them about it. And that's why I tour factories, because I'm just fascinated by makers of all sorts. Um, when I find those types of curious people, that's those are the people that I think are just so fascinating. That's what this conference is about, is bringing people together that have that curiosity. They're looking to kind of move things forward, uh, make things better, or make them different. Um, and 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 it's, it's been really fun to see, you know, just so far, you know, people that are like-minded coming together because there's a lot of people who don't fit in a perfect little hole of like, oh, I'm a plain air painter. You know, I don't fit that perfect plain air painter hole. I did at one point and then I just got, I just like, you know, I, I can't handle this. You know, it's just too boring, too much the same too. Uh -huh. And um, I think there's a lot of artists like that in the world. And so 
let's create a space for them to uh, want to get together and uh, you know have this great cross pollination. I love that. Is is this does this conference exist virtually or is it going to be? It's virtually because we have people from all over the world. You know, Europe, you know, Asia, uh, India, you know, all over. So we had to do it virtually to make sure that you know we could have all the people that we wanted to to attend. And um, you know, with COVID the way it is, this is how it will be for a little while in the foreseeable future, anyway. So. But each each uh, presenter, you know, this is my hope is that somebody comes and they don't just say they're a landscape painter. They don't just watch all the landscape painters. There's plenty of them that you could just enjoy that, right? But I think you're missing out if you're not seeing what um, you know the sculptors are doing, what the uh, what the movie art artists are doing, the digital artists are doing. I actually think right now there might be, because of this NFT thing that I know Marshall kind of hates, but like, I think that the interesting part, like, isn't, you know, what NFTs are right now, but kind of the bridge between analog art and kind of digital art. And I actually having some of those people meet might be a way to do that. Because I was thinking about like, okay, like what would make this interesting? And just a digital image is not not interesting really. And a painting that becomes a digital image is also not that interesting. But actually all of these people talking and meeting and maybe actually collaborating might create something truly beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole NFT thing is still in its infancy and there'll be a lot of bad art or just stuff that's just kind of noise being created right now. I think there will emerge some things that will, I think, be very positive with it. Um, so Dylan Cole is one of the artists that will be presenting. He is the, uh, he's a production designer for the Avatar films. And so he, um, we met uh, four or five years ago and he just had his love for uh, painting, landscape painting. So we went out and did some plein air painting and uh, and he's continued on since that time that we've met. And it's really kind of cool to see, you know, his interest in that. Um, but he's also, you know, heavily into the films and the movies. But so that, I think those two things kind of enhance his life uh, by having one and the other, having that time to do his own creative stuff as well as his, um, his movie work. You know, there's a lot of pressure and, and things with that. Anyway, he, he was just talking about, he's doing his first NFT drop uh, this week. So it'll be interesting to see how that all that goes. But he's another example of somebody that through this collaboration, you know, who knows what could happen because of, you know, the interaction with him and with others um, because of his connections and, and the connections that he'll get from the art world, you know, the galleries that are showing up. You know, I think ultimately he would at some point when he retires, like to do more traditional art. Um, who knows what, what will happen down the road. And, and I actually think that there's a lot of traditional painters who are going to be trying the NFT thing. And on our own, I'm not sure we'd be any good at it, but actually, you know, if we talk to someone who is in that world and is in, in kind of like the, you know, the, like the digital art world um, and possibly just collaborated on some of that stuff, I think it might, I think it might work for both parties. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I did have a, a conversation with a guy named John Park, an excellent concept artist, and I talked to him about collectors, um, and he was wondering because he was doing making certain he's putting out too many NFTs in a row, and so people are getting mad, and he was deflating the value, and 
they were starting to unload them. So he started buying them back. And we taught, had this conversation about, you know, in the art world and you're having collectors, you don't just throw everything out there like you do as a concept artist, which you're supposed to do. You're supposed to turn things out as fast as possible and, and hopefully something the director will like. But mm. here you have to kind of hold back, reserve, only release out your best stuff and not too much of it so that you can you know, maintain your prices. You know, as you're working with collectors, they want to see that you're, you know, maintaining your brand and, you know, just having that conversation, right? So there's some value too that the traditional painters have oh, decades of experience working with a collector and, and what that means. And, and actually just not being able to produce all that much stuff, right? The, but I actually think in some ideal world, a lot of it like, would like to spend like a year on one painting. Like most of us just don't have that chance or that chance is kind of a luxury. Well, and that's hard too about social media and the pressure to continue to post something. Um, and, you know, so I always have, I always try and have a big project going on in the background with all the other little paintings that I'm, that I'm kind of putting out there. Uh, and it's sometimes it's hard to have that balance. Um, last year I did one big piece. It was like a 15 foot by 18 foot painting. Um, I can't show it. It's a private commission. It was nice to have a big project with all the, all the little stuff I'm, I'm constantly doing. You're right. It is hard to have that extra time to do that big giant project. Um, but I think that's something we all kind of yearn for. And it kind of makes me think like where the conference you're setting up is an opportunity to get back in touch with yourself as an artist. And I, I really lament that when you were talking about social media or just the rise of like atelier schools and these type things, it's like the, the thing that I love most about paintings, painting in general, is that people are so uniquely weird and beautifully weird. And that used to be reflected in paintings a lot more. You know, you think you go to the museums and the, the paintings are just so weird, whether it's Aang, someone really classical, but very bizarre imagery. And now we've really lost touch with kind of the beautiful weirdness. It's just been sort of like slick, reproduced, a lot for likes, a lot under one instructor. It's just like, I want people to get back in touch with how interesting they are and they could throw that on the canvas, you I know? know? Well, I, I disagree with you. I think when people are, okay. <laughs> I, always I, I always disagree with you. <laughs> I think when people are in school, they're just, you know, they're just getting their chops. They're getting like, I think, you know, you get that weirdness, you get kind of your uniqueness back like after you trade you you know you learn the language that you're trying to speak and then you try to write the epic poem right you don't try to write the epic poem before learning the language because then you just have a bunch of gibberish i i feel like it's okay that you know you you go to school and you learn how to paint the same way as, as everyone else because your mind isn't going to work the same way as everyone else and a few years later once you've had a chance to kind of internalize like i just don't think we're supposed to be making great masterpieces at 22. i don't we, think we people, people i don't see many people snapping back as in the same way i see in the museums like all these idiosyncratic weird paintings that are in the museums i just don't really see them anymore well, i don't know so brian mentioned zoe frank and i guess she's kind of i i, I mean like she's a great example i'd agree with that but she's unique she went to grad school and atelier she was 
very privileged, you know? Yeah, but how many, okay, so when you go to the museum, it's not, you know, not everyone ends up in a museum, right? It's one out of every X number of painters that function during that time. And the rest of them maybe, you know, weren't unique and got lost. And like Colleen Berry is another one, like she's atelier trained and she's just kind of gone off and experiment, you know, she's experimenting. She's kind of like searching for things. And I feel like there's actually enough of those people. I think the, the uh, one, one of the things is, is there's a tribalness, you know, the tribe, tribal nature of all of us that it's part of human nature. And so to some degree, we were seeking that tribe, right? And a great thing about that tribe is it's, it sustains us, it supports us. But at the same time, we have uh, this inclination to demonize or to say to other tribes, you know, you're, you're not valid of art. And yes. So, and, and what that will do is keep you from, you know, like the Richard Schmidt tribe or whatever, you know, you gotta, it's gotta be a la prima. It's gotta be, you know, if you do it in layers and glazing and stuff, you're a hacker, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, cause like East coast, West coast, um, you know, and I, I sense that sometimes with, you know, with my work where it's, you know, I, I'm much looser painter. And if somebody's really tight, then they're just not, not interested in it because I'm, I'm in a different tribe, right? Mm -hmm. Hang out with the atelier people because of my you know, background. So there's, I think there's some interesting forces that go on that are both sustaining and damaging to an artist because of the tribe that they- But, but you know, okay, so there's like whatever, the open form versus closed form tribe, but then there's like the people who are trying to make something, you know, something earnest, I guess. And, and the ones with the kind of like, slick, bland, minimalist, like, I don't know, three geometric shapes on a nice white canvas is going to look fantastic in like, you know, like a high-end real estate, you know, like a lobby, right? There's that tribe. I don't like that painting because I think they're not trying to make anything earnest. Like I might like some of those people if I met them in person, but that tribe is too far away from me to even like want to reach out to. Anyone trying to make something meaningful, whether it be like abstract meaning, I feel like that's Maybe that maybe that's what I consider my tribe, that whichever way they're trying to do it. But then I feel like the stuff that is all over Chelsea right now is so, um, I, I, I don't know, like it's kind of bland. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I say that too is, I mean, there's levels and degrees, right? Um, even within, within a tribe, um, there's obviously like in Vision X Live, for example, we don't have people that are doing that work that are part of this conference. You know, because, like, you, because I bet you don't like their work either. <laughs> well, there's, there's no real, um, it, there's no, there's not enough dialogue, right? To, to have. Uh, so all, all we're trying to do is broaden it to a certain extent, right? But, it, but we can't broaden it so, so far that it becomes meaningless. That's the hard thing with, with uh, inclusion, right? is you can you can include and include but it can also kind of burst to the seams and, and become but i mean with vision x live like you have a hugely diverse group of you know group of people who do, who do all sorts of things but the thing that unifies them is they're, they're you know they're really good artists they're kind of experts in their field whatever that field happens to be and you're right now that i think about it you, di you didn't include the people that are making the you know black red and white squares so right right these are all these people have a high degree of, of craft involved in, in their work. And so I think that's maybe one of the, one of the things that's, 
involved. There's a there's a skill set there, uh, in addition to the passion and inspiration, that whereas you know the artists that are maybe more about the explanation next to the painting or a work of art, it's where it's just the idea. Um, that's not well, you know. I don't find that as intriguing. <laughs> uh, you're just being very politically correct around it, and <laughs> I'm not. I'm probably I'm probably going to piss someone off, and I don't know, and get and get a bad review for the podcast. I think I think what Brian was saying is exciting to me because he was saying like, I, I guess to put a finer point on what I'm saying is like we have all this access right now, and it, but we do have machines that are more into creating similar product, you know, and people plug into those and become a brand of that machine. And I liked it when Brian was saying a little earlier, like I did landscape and you do it beautifully until I just, it wasn't creatively satisfying for me anymore. So it's like, there's a search in you and even making this conference, it is developing, changing, altering, and there's something kind of reflected beautifully human in that. And I worry with some of the filters we're passing through, we lose that courage, you know? Like I would say, I know, I sc scroll through Instagram, I know instantly where someone went to school because, or, you know, or they're doing an eye or a mouth for Instagram, you know where the motivations are. And I just don't see the same, just the weird bizarreness that used to exist in history. Like even like a Leonardo or something, they're incredibly weird paintings, you know, that just don't get made anymore because they won't get the same likes. Well, sure, yeah. And I think, for example, when I post a one of these kind of experimental science fiction paintings, you know, half of the crowd had a, like, you know, these old ladies had a heart attack that I- Yes! Dark, moody science fiction thing, like, what, <laughs> what is this, you know? And I had several artists like, what are you doing? You're committing suicide, you know, yep. artistically by, you know, posting something that's so off. Um, and so part of me is intentionally fighting against the, the being the pigeonhole. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's yeah, not but, Yeah, but I mean, like none of us, like, like no, nobody I think, or at least none of us are painting for the likes, right? Like the most meaningful painting isn't the one that you know, gets the most heart emoji. We might be weird. We might be shooting ourselves in the foot. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So I just spent the last two days, two days here. And you know what? None of these like kind of, I mean, they're mostly GCA kids or faculty or whatever, and a few drifting in from other places. And like, you know what they never talk about? They never talk about like, how do I form a gallery collection or like, how do I get the next bridge collector? They're like, all like, like they're like, how do I capture this light? How do I, you know, wake up the, or, you know, wake up the earliest or get the kind of lamp that allows me to, you know, keep painting in the dark. And it's actually been really great. But I like that, but I wish it was, I can know how to capture the light. I'll know where to get that. How do I express myself the best? That seems to be what I, what's missing. But that is how they're expressing themselves. Like they're out in nature all day long trying to catch something and they're not thinking about how they're going to sell it. They're not thinking about like, I, I don't know, like which part of the ladder it's going, which rung of the ladder it's going to get them up to. They're just thinking about like being right there in that moment, trying to catch the thing. Yeah, let's put a plug. And this is kind of going, going back to my roots to some degree. And 
one, getting away from plain air competition or whatever, because I think that can stick you in a, in a bad spot, but going out on yourself and confronting nature is one of the best ways to you know, just keep that, uh, the juices flowing, the originality um, is just interacting directly with the source rather than, I want to bring in this artist and that artist and combine those two things and, and mm. new baby, right? I'm, I'm actually just drawing that inspiration maybe from the back of an owl and, and just seeing their pattern there and thinking, oh, that pattern is amazing. How can I, you know, how can I utilize this in my artwork? Or um, if you see something really, you know, some str strange phenomenon in the sky, you know, where it actually turns green uh, because of, you know, you, know, you can see that sometimes happen where you've got uh, grass being whipped up into the air and it gives it kind of this green cast, you know, unique things that can happen that gives you new ideas and new insights into, um, you know, what's out there. So I think aside from this idea of cross-pollination, you know, that we've kind of talked about, I think, you know, I mean, I've always been a huge advocate of, you know, doing something directly from life because it put away the books, put away the, you know, all the preconceived notions and really try and just study something. That's where I think you can, you, you, you confront that and, and, and get something different, new and original from that. And, and I would add another layer to that is for me, it's been travel, traveling to a new country, a new part of the world because of the rock structure or you know the plant structure, whether it's really wet, really dry, high elevation, or Death Valley, you know, all those things you can confront new ideas and new ways of seeing things because of just your exposure to things you've never seen before. You know how some people say that like you know travel doesn't fix your problems, like you know because you bring yourself with you wherever you go. I actually always thought that was bullshit. I actually think there's a huge amount of problems that travel actually does fix. Obviously, not not some of the ones in your head, but actually just being surrounded by things that you've never seen before and kind of like trying to solve the problems that that new world is posing for you in a different way almost like switches something in your brain and makes you feel more alive and sometimes when you come back you're like oh that thing i thought was a huge problem it's actually not that big of a thing yeah, yeah totally um yeah and it's interesting my life seems to all come together like it's in it's going great when i'm traveling it's amazing when i'm when i'm stuck at home and just kind of over too many months you know i, I don't know i just get stir crazy cabin fever but because don't you think most of our problems, barring a catastrophe, like a health problem or something, just your day-to-day -day problems are perspective, you know, and you travel, you gain a little more perspective and you bring that in and you realize not everything's a small little track. Like there's much, much more open ways of viewing things, you know? Usually I get like after like, you know, probably about eight months in New York, um, I get so crazy, but also I get really kind of like involved in nitpicking on it. And then I go somewhere and within three days out of New York, I was like, whatever that thing I was worried about, that's, com that's, that's complete bullshit. Perspective is, I guess, distance and like looking at it from a little, just from further away from a different continent. And I was like, uh -huh. that's not a problem. That's, you know, that, that's maybe a logistic. <laughs> Well, I, I've often said, and maybe, maybe it's not the right thing to say, but um, is 
you know, I deal with a lot of first world problems. Uh, and when you go and I experience, especially I love going to markets, um, you know, where people are just buying their food in, in, in countries that are, you know, in the developing world. And they're so rich and, you know, there's so much, um, you know, the smells, the sights, the movement. Um, but it, it always reminds me how hard the hustling that they have to do. And it, it kind of reminds me when I did all these plein air events, you're outdoors, you're trying to get people to buy your, your paintings, right? And how, how much I hated that. <laughs> but uh, it reminds me people do that every single day of their lives. You know, these old women, um, old men and women that have been doing it really, literally for 70 years. Uh, it helps put into perspective the, uh, you know, the human condition, um, what uh, having, not having an education, uh, you know, so many things about. Just how lucky, how lucky we actually are. Yes, absolutely. You know, I always come away with a huge sense of gratitude and maybe that's one of the most powerful forces that we can have or cultivate in our lives is, is that feeling of gratitude for the opportunity to be a painter or artist uh, or just you know being healthy having education living in a clean being able to take a warm shower um, you know those those kinds of things and and I guess that's why I I I, I have focused on I'm not interested in, in painting a shiny building necessarily I'm interested in the like people that are living an authentic life in really tough circumstances mm. And I, I just find that fascinating. Um, and also, I think it's inspiring. You know, some of the toughest people, you know, the most amazing people aren't, aren't the Jeff Bezos of the world. They're the people that for 70 years have, you know, walked, you know, five miles to get to the market to sell a few vegetables and then walk back and do it all over again every single day. Uh-huh. Did you know that um, 24,000 people signed a petition for Jeff Bezos to stay in space and not come back to the earth. <laughs> well, it, it makes me think about perspective because artists have a very unique perspective. You know, you could almost even call it a vantage point. Like, yeah. like almost like what you were saying, Brian, you know, not particularly extrovert, not particularly introverted not really a leader, not really a follower. We find ourselves in more solitary positions where we just watch things, you know, we get to watch the world. And I wonder what, how how we could best use that perspective uh, from this position we have. It is fairly privileged, you know, it's really a lot of us come to it for different ways, but it's a, it's a nice way of living, just doing art all day. And I, I constantly think that about that for myself. Like, how could I use this vantage point to bring, bring ideas out or whatever it is? You know, what, what do you think about that? What, what do you think an artist has an obligation to say something in a way? Yeah, well, I... I think there's an opportunity to, as people are rushing by, you get to notice something, right? You get mm-hmm. to notice people. Um, and I've always been one to notice how people are feeling. I always kind of, even as I enter the room, maybe that's why it's exhausting to some degree. I always, like, how is this person feeling? And so I'm a, we notice stuff. 
notice things that people aren't noticing. And so um, I think as we do that and kind of bring that stuff to light, that's where we, I, I think, are a real positive force in the world is to point at things that people may not realize are going on, whether positive or negative. Uh, and I think that benefits people's life in a tremendous degree. You know, life can be really, really extremely difficult. Mm. Um, and even my most difficult day, I know, hasn't been as difficult as you know, somebody that I've kind of described earlier. Um, but if we can point that out and even show what um, a heroic thing that is, you know, I think something positive, something good can come out of that. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, you know, a big thing today is, you know, the voices, different voices that need to be heard, right? And um, it's not just voices, but, you know, there's animals, there's environments, there's, um, you know, we're, we're trying to help people that aren't aware of good and bad things that are happening become more aware of them. And, and, and I think there's an important role that we play in doing that. Mm, I totally agree. I think that's really beautifully said. Um, I have a question. What, what's one thing that you would, you would consistently find yourself telling a student in the, in the, in the classes you teach? Uh, well, always your values are off. <laughs> <laughs> are, are they usually too dark or too light? <laughs> or, or is it like a moral compass sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's with a lot of shady characters. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, you should really not you know, really stop smoking. No. <laughs> uh, you know, um, yeah, it's, with, with students, part of it is the thing that I like to get across, you know, with one is belief, right? Belief that through um, thoughtful repetition, you know, with the right guidance, you can, you can do all kinds of things, you know, and that's something I talk to my kids a lot about. So I do it the same because people have a hard time believing that they can get the spot where you as a teacher are at but just getting them to believe that you know what i'm recommending is actually going to help you as long as you're willing to do it on a consistent basis mm -hmm. uh, and so one of the things i've sponsored part of my frustration from teaching is maybe seeing somebody one year and then seeing them a year later and realize they haven't done a whole lot you know from year to year uh and uh I had a couple people like that teach take a workshop for me once a year. They love to come. They love the energy and, and, and stuff, but you know, they didn't, they didn't do a whole lot of painting in between or improving. And so I started this thing called the Strata challenge, which is basically for 30 days. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot more of these things that are coming, coming around. We've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, but uh, basically the idea is to paint or draw from life every single day of the month and we sponsor two to a year and the idea is and I kind of have a little bit of instruction when people join and say okay these are some of the things I want you to do one is choose something simple maybe choose a consistent theme that you're just working on and then um, make it kind of this mindful like maybe slight variations to to that thing but um, just do it, you know, you have to do it every day to, in order to be uh, basically finish the challenge, you have to do it every single day. 
Hmm. When, when was your next one, by the way? Next one is in September. I think I might want to do it because I think it's, I, I've seen it. I had no idea that Strata Easels or the Strata Easel Challenge was your, your baby. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Well, I'd love, I'd absolutely love to have you be a part of it. Um, can, any, can anybody do it? Anybody can do it. Oh, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you do it too. Uh, it's, and it's also, it's been transformative to me because, you know, I really didn't like, or I, I wasn't as interested in still life painting per se. I did it in school almost as a kind of help me get to the landscape painting. But I've found through this process, I've actually really enjoyed a still life. And I felt like it's helped me understand light a whole lot better. Uh, I'm not saying you have to do still life. You can do anything you can do. You can do plein air painting, whatever, as long as it's from life. That's the main criteria. It can be drawing, painting. Uh, it can even be on the iPad if you want to. Uh, but the large majority are doing it, you know, with traditional traditional media but it's it's really been transformative to me to um to just sit with basically an object and i kind of keep it really simple i i you know pick an object and it's all about you know spending the time just lighting it just right just how i want it and just spending you know a couple hours with that object and i've just found that, that has been such a wonderful meditation i'm not good at meditating uh you know, in the maybe the more traditional sense of doing my alms and, you know, sitting there with my legs crossed. But for me, whether it's out plein air painting for a couple hours, as the light's changing and observing the movement of the sun, you know, the feeling of the wind, or, you know, sitting in quietly, you know, capturing a still life, I find that I can, you know, it, it really does a whole lot for me mentally. Um, and that's, and I, I feel like I, through that consistent process over 30 days, there's something really amazing about, you know, when you get to week four, just that flow that you've created in your life. That's exciting. You feel like I, you don't have, you feel like you, at the beginning, like, I don't have time for this. You know, and often I'll have like a show to do. I've got, you know, two other businesses to run. I've got four kids. I've got all kinds of stuff going on. But what you find in that, by you know taking that leap and trying it, you, that things will move out of their way for you to do that that one thing. Yeah. And it's been really cool to see people take that up, and we get stories of you know, a lady got through chemotherapy, you know, for the month that she was doing the, the Strata Challenge, and you know, other people have um, like son and daughter or mother, you know, different sides of the continent. Uh, they this is their way to bond with each other by both doing it at the same time. Hmm. There's, there's something about measuring that by day uh, that that creates this kind of rhythm, and as people are all beating to that same drum, it's it's you know similar maybe to I haven't I haven't run a marathon, but I imagine it would probably be a similar kind of idea. Is everybody running, you know, and and uh, working towards kind of this common goal? So it's it's been really a neat experience. So it's a, it's like two hours a day, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's, there's, um, there's no criteria on how much time you need to spend either on it. Um, I want to have a certain, you know, time period for me, I spend a couple hours at least. Occasionally, I'll do something really complex and, and do, you know, spend four to six hours on something. But for the most part, it's, you know, like an hour or so on, on something that, that I'll do. And everybody's different. 
the, the idea though is the consistency and kind of trying to develop the ritual so that people um and this is a this has helped ignite a lot of people from that went from painting here and there you know three or four times a year to like actually like i can do this hmm. you know? I, 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 I think it would also be really good for even like trying something new even for an hour a day and sticking with it in 38 you get a lot better absolutely well and that's that was my experience with still life you know, the first one i did was just this little tomato you know and it just felt so weird even just setting the tomato in front of me and looking at it you know as much as i've been painting you know and the, as many years i've been painting that just felt so weird and foreign and it took me a while to kind of set things up um I was a totally in, I had no rhythm at all, mm. but then, you know, now I've, I have like built this, you know, the whole stand thing and I got the lights I want and, you know, and I've got all different colors of cloth and, you know, just different things now. And there's just so much more of a flow to sort of step into that. It just reminds me of how much we can, if we, you know, turn off the TV or whatever and, and just kind of work on something even for a short bit of time each day, how much we can learn, how much we can get better, explore new, new territory. What do you think is for you personally, the, the most difficult thing about painting? Uh, wow, that's a good question. For myself or for like when you're talking with students? I'd say for, for your, maybe we'll, we'll do both. I, I, I want, I originally asked it for yourself. So, yeah, okay. okay. Well, I think in my, in the world that I kind of inhabit um, is trying to say as much as possible with as little stroke. Mm. I have so much more thought go into what actually I end up, end up doing. So mm. I have as little of this, and more of this happen. And so there's that kind of stroll because I want things to have this certain kind of brevity or uh, a freshness to it, to be kind of true to that initial vision to it, a uh, certain confidence, I guess. And so um, that's, I get really frustrated when I can't nail something or don't nail it in a way that I would like on that first try. Mm. <laughs> So do you, do you not put, I haven't seen you paint, do you not put many strokes down? Do you sort of like think in a lot in between? Um, I'm, I'm still a rather quick painter, but I like to say, you know, if I'm in the right flow, I'm, I don't make a mistake. Hmm. That's great. <laughs> so, you know, when painting's done right, it's just comes out, you know, just comes out. I am so jealous. All right. I, I'm not sure I've ever had that experience where it, it just comes out. It's like, you know, I make a bunch of mistakes and then I fiddle with it. Like even like, so I guess this is going to be an audio podcast. So no one's going to see your, your hand motions while you're doing this, but you're almost like putting a stroke down and it's one stroke. And when I think about me painting, it's like slowly fiddling something into shape. The, yeah. Uh, you know everybody's different but that's that's my like and i lived in italy for two years that's why i've been using my hands this whole time 
<laughs> no, you know what? I'm going to do your strata easel challenge and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'll, I'll tone a bunch of paper and maybe try it with still life because that's the way that you started. And maybe I'll start with a tomato actually, because it feels, you know, it worked for Brian, Brian you know, Brian Mark Taylor but might work for me too. Love it. Yeah, I, I love it. Well, one thing I, I love gardening. So we have a huge garden in the back. Um, and so what I've tried to do is get all these vegetables and stuff. And that's how it all started, right? Is, uh, is just grabbing, you know, like, okay, well, let's pick one of these and, and try it. Uh, and part of it maybe for lack of other objects. Uh, but it's amazing, like once you light it, and that's just the beauty of light. Once you light just even the most common thing, you light it right, it is just so gorgeous. And, hmm. and you just want to, want to create it. That's why, you know, painting from life or drawing from life is so, such a, such a great active meditation. Hmm. And so really, you know, we go back, we come full circle to like the whole business thing. Um, what I, what I really like is that meditation being in that meditative state. That's, that's where I find the most, um, most joy and happiness. And usually if I'm doing it, working from photographs and stuff, I'm just not as engaged. Uh, and if I'm actually with, the living breathing object that that i'm that i'm working with well and maybe it's not maybe it's an old machine or a typewriter or something like that but somehow by lighting it it feels like it's alive hmm. and, and that's kind of what i'm working on you know trying to capture i love that active meditation that's such a beautiful way of saying it and i hadn't heard it put quite like that before and actually you describing it makes me feel like trying it. Like uh, um, I haven't done still life and like, like it was all I did for a few years while trying to pay off my grad school loans and yeah. whatever, I was confident at it, but I burnt out on it. Like I remember finishing the last still life for the last still life show and just being like, never doing this again. And now hearing you talk about it makes me want to go back there. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I think, uh, it really, it was, I was trying to change everybody else's lives by, you know, like the, the students and things that I had, but I found out this whole process, it changed, changed my life. Um, and, you know, isn't that funny how, how that is when we try and do things, we're trying to change our lives. You know, if we invite other people into it, you know, we find out that um, just that whole experience, our life, you know, it becomes kind of this beautiful thing. Um. So I, I have a question for you. So the Vision X Live conference is coming up in July. And if anyone's listening, you, you guys should come. Honestly, I think it's going to be really interesting and really exciting. But do you have the next big project? That's your big project for the moment, I think. Do you have the next dream kind of somewhere in the back of your head that you're going to try to pop I, into I, reality? I have so much. On, I mean, this this time in my life has been the busiest time in, in my life. So I would like to, um, uh, you know, step aside from the the peripheral, the bigger projects around that I've been working on, whether it's you know business related stuff, and I would like to do some larger work, um, just personal large work, kind of like you were talking about. That's something I felt that I would really like to do is is work on some big pieces, you know, big, um, com complicated. Uh, or not complicated is not the right word because it doesn't matter if it's complicated or not. It's just evoking um, with some of the studies that I've gathered over the years. You know, I have 
I've at least done 10,000 paintings. You know, I've got stacks of plein air studies and I would like to, you know, gather some of those together and, and kind of create some larger pieces based on, you know, what I've gathered over the years. Hmm. And so that's, that's something that I'd really, I would really love to do is, is kind of have that time and that space to be able to be able to do that. Is it, you know, there's a lot, a lot going on. I have, you know, I, every, you know, all artists are busy. I, I totally understand that. Um, and mine feels like even beyond busy right at this moment. So I would like to, after the, after Vision X Live is kind of step back a little bit and kind of reconnect with some kind of the grand things that I want to do. So I feel like, you know, I'm in my forties. This decade is really an important decade for, you know, you still have some energy and some strength to do some things important. Not that it won't happen beyond that, but really, you know, if you look at over the centuries, artists, if they make it to their forties, uh, tends to be an important decade. Hmm. Do you have any, like, I, um, for this type, this work that sounds exciting, do you have any uh, artist in history that you would think of as like uh, an influence or any any voices like that that you that you look at? Well, if you see, um, and I don't I don't paint like you know the, the Hudson River painters, for example, but I do like the epic scale with which they. I mean, I love their work, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm just I'm not that type of animal. I'm a zebra instead of a whatever you know an elephant. Um, I just want to, I want to have that kind of same epic scale, hmm. uh, you know, because the landscape and you know, scenery and stuff needs to have that. So mostly what I am interested in or have painted or focused on is more uh, cityscape urban type environments. So it's, it's more along those kinds of lines of, uh, you know, things I'm, I'm particularly interested in. Hmm. Um. And is there, um, I, I don't know, is there any sort of word of advice that you would like to give, well, anyone who's listening to this and trying to, you know, figure out how to be the next Brian Mark Taylor, <laughs> but, uh, no, but, you know, try, trying to figure out how to make, as an, make it as an artist? Yeah. Uh, well, I think, um, you know, to make it as a traditional painter, obviously, is, is it's, a, it's a journey. And I think of it as kind of like a backpacking trip when you are younger and are going to school. What you're doing in, in school is putting in tools in your backpack to go on this long journey. And so I think what you want to do is make sure and put as many tools as you possibly can in that backpack because you never know when you'll need them later on when you're down, down the road. Uh, and, and the reason why I mention that is it's it's so much harder. Uh, I was actually trying to learn how to use Blender, which you know a computer program, the other day. Oh. My kids, and it's just so painfully slow. Uh, if I were back in you know college and could learn Blender, it would just be so much easier and faster. Um, but I'm really busy right now on top of everything uh, to be able to learn it with any degree of proficiency. I'm not saying go learn Blender, but I'm just saying you know with painting. Uh, certain skills that you have, drawing skills. Uh, you want to get acquire as many of those as you can, because those are the components that will, as you are you know, going on your journey of art, you want to make sure you have those things. Otherwise, you might find that you want to do a project, but just simply don't have the skill level to do it. 
Hmm. And you're limited by that training that you got, you know, early on. And so I think take it seriously. We, you know, there's lots of students. So I taught for about seven years, just part-time at the Academy of Art University, even in the grad, in the grad program. And even people paying a ton of money. I mean, it's expensive to go there, just squander their time there when they had opportunity to learn some new skills. They, they wanted to, they wanted to be praised rather than, um, told what they can improve. Hmm. Praised rather than actually taught. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's a, that's a, that's a problem, um, that it just hampers your ability to acquire those tools. So you could go to a very amazing art school and pay a ton of money, still not get a whole lot out of it because you're defending what you're already doing rather than um, being shown maybe a little bit more clearly what's actually occurring on mm -hmm. your notice. I think, yeah, I think ego in that way is the, is a huge enemy to artists, you know, if you can just learn to know that it's one foot in front of the other and, and move forward and take good advice, listen to everything, reckon. I mean, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime attitude, you know? It is, yeah. I, well, and I still, I still have it now, and I think I'm better actually now at taking a critique than I was as a student. Mm -hmm. I recognize, hey, if somebody's saying this X, Y, and Z, then it's, it's probably pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. and um of course you're getting advice from people that you kind of trust but i think that uh feedback is so critical and very few of us have the skin to take it yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh, brian thank you so much by the way for kind of well taking your time to to do this and to talk to us amidst what seems like about a thousand things that you have going on in your life <laughs> yeah no it's very busy but i i, I very much enjoyed the, the conversation the topic so i appreciate it appreciate the opportunity yeah um, thanks Brian. it was great getting to know you um and hopefully so marshall i told you we should go to utah because brian is there and josh claire and all of these like incredibly good painters and we, we, we could just landscape paint with them. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, let's do it. And, and Brian, I may hit you up at some point for another easel. Uh, I'm going to Colorado with some people in November to do some plein air painting. So okay. I'll be, uh, I'll be hitting up Strata easel soon. <laughs> some, uh, other sizes probably since you bought the last one. So. Uh, you can, you can buy, you can buy an easel directly from, from the mastermind to them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get you outfitted. Great. Um, All right. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. And good luck. Hey, thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey. I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview. I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now. So call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times let us know what's on your mind and we'll play it on our next episode the number is 929-267-4830 again it's 929-267-4830 you can find us at artgrindpodcast.com 
and follow us on Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind. Stand clear of the closing doors, please.